Hello and welcome to Atlantic Conversations. I'm Fanula Sweeney. The Atlantic Fellowship Programme works with a diverse community of leaders around the world with a common commitment to fairer, healthier, more inclusive societies. Through its seven programmes focused on equity and healthcare, socio-economic equity and racial equity, the Atlantic Fellowships offer those leaders an opportunity to gain new perspectives and new colleagues, while strengthening their confidence in their work for change. In each podcast, I'll be speaking to an Atlantic Fellow about their work and ambitions for a more just world. For this series, I travelled to Sao Paulo, Brazil, for the Global Brain Health Institute Annual Conference, where I caught up with a number of Atlantic Fellows. Today, I'm joined by Elisa Hezenje, an Atlantic Fellow for Equity and Brain Health. Elisa works as a neurologist at a memory clinic in a hospital in Brazil. I began by asking what had prompted her to apply to become an Atlantic Fellow for Equity and Brain Health at the University of California, San Francisco. What prompted me was to learn more about dementia and to learn deeper, let's say, because I was interested in knowing more about genetics, about different kinds of dementia, not only Alzheimer's, and to understand the cutting-edge research that was being done. But when I got to the fellowship, I had the wonderful surprise that the fellowship was not only about medical or academical training in dementia, it was about health economics, involved ethics, leadership. It was more holistic than you had imagined it would be. Exactly. So what did it allow you to bring back to Brazil in terms of your skills and experience? The experience I had there in California with patients with dementia was great. They have a wonderful research center, so I learned a lot of research skills. I learned a lot about neuropathology with Leah Greenberg because the city I work in, Belo Horizonte, We don't have a neuropathological assessment. We don't have a brain bank. Leah Greenberg, she's Brazilian. She's a professor at the Memory and Aging Center at UCSF. Mm -hmm. I learned with Dr. Bruce Miller. I saw him speaking many times and I learned a lot with him. And of course, we had this wonderful broad training about leadership skills that was very important when I came back. What is the situation when it comes to being diagnosed with dementia in Brazil? They are diagnosed by specialists, neurologists, geriatricians, and psychiatrists mostly. And unfortunately, not everybody has access to these people. So diagnosis is a challenge, to be honest. And a lot of people don't have access to good diagnosis. What happens if people don't have access to good diagnosis? They delay the treatment. Not to say that the treatment is a miracle. Of it's course, not it's a not a cure. <laughs> exactly. But it helps them live better lives. Yeah. Another thing is to prepare the family so the family understands what's going on, so they can prepare financially, prepare their lives. We have a lot of stigma too. So. And what is that based on, that people don't know what dementia is about or they're afraid of it? or there isn't enough support for people living with dementia? I think it's a mix of everything. Dr. Sonia Brook, she just presented about research she did that even people who had a family member with dementia, they didn't know anything about dementia. This is at the Alzheimer's Satellite Conference that's taking place here in Savannah. Exactly. They don't know what dementia is. They are afraid of dementia because there is no cure. I think it's the same stigma as cancer or HIV. And in some ways worse because in dementia people fear they're losing their mind. Exactly. And they are very afraid of that. 
How much support is there for people with dementia from the government, for example, in terms of not just treatment, but care? Care mm. becomes a very important part of the picture. Treatment, the government supports very well because they provide the medications for free here in Brazil. But you need to see a specialist to get the prescription. <laughs> so we have this barrier there. Do you have to pay to see the specialist? No, it's free, but it takes a long time. So the primary care physician, when they send to the specialist, takes one year right. to see the specialist. That's like, that could be a long 12 months. Social care, is there much in the way of government-supported care? Not really. There are some initiatives, non-governmental organizations that help. But government-wise, they don't provide a lot of social support. We also heard here in the AIC satellite conference that most of the support of dementia is by informal caregivers. Family members, friends, community. You've returned to Brazil after being a fellow for two years at the UCSF. What is your mission? I think my mission is to conduct research. Before I went there, of course, I knew how to do research, but I improved a lot. So my mission is continuing to take care of the patients and their families and also to do research. The research I do, I think it's very important because we are trying to understand whether there is a protective effect being exposed to education when we are adult. You're talking about being an adult exposed to education as opposed to being a child. Exactly. So if you have not been exposed to education before you were an adult, but you are exposed to education as an adult, it might provide a protective barrier against developing dementia in later life. Not developing dementia, but developing dementia symptoms. The pathology is there, but when you're exposed to education, you create a buffer to the pathology. So you need more pathology to express the symptoms. How is this research going in terms of definitive answers? I just started recruiting. (laughs) It's going to be a long while. Yeah, the plan is to do a one-year research to see 60 participants who are attending a late-life educational program. I already saw 13, and we are going to do MRI on them. I have a team of researchers. They are medical students. They are helping me a lot. So this first phase will be finished in May, June. And then we are going to see them again in one year to see whether this one year of being exposed to education in their 50s improved their connections. So the connections between the hippocampi, which are important for memory processing, and the prefrontal cortex, which is another region in the brain that is important. These connections are important for you to learn and to memorize things, so it improves your memory. The idea is that if you go to this school for one year, let's say, your memory improves and also your brain connections improve. Assuming the research goes the way you hope it does and it Mm -hmm. proves that if you have education in later life, in your 50s, for example, that that provides a protection against dementia symptoms later in life, how would you see that research being implemented? Could you see the government perhaps taking it up? We hope that by providing scientific evidence that this late-life educational program is not only for people who are seeking jobs. They can go there to improve their brain health and maybe delay the onset of dementia so we can inform politicians and create public policies to spread these kind of programs and also to attract people because people who go to these programs, they are stigmatized, they are marginalized in the society because, first of all, they don't know how to read and write and they Mm -hmm. are in their 50s. So they need to be very strong and brave to sit down in a classroom again 
Do you know what percentage of the population is unable to read and write as adults? In elderly population, 30% is illiterate. That is quite significant. And we heard today in the conference a lot about functional illiteracy. They went to school, they learned how to read and write, but they don't really know what they're doing. They don't understand, their vocabulary is poor. And these late life school programs provide an opportunity to learn more, to learn about history, geography, science. It's a cognitive stimulation activity that they can do. But to engage in this activity, you need to be very brave. To admit that you don't know exactly. what you're doing. So if I show this can improve your brain health, maybe people will be more interested. What has being an Atlantic Fellow for Equity and Brain Health meant to you? And what does being part of the wider Atlantic community now, that there are seven global equity programs, mean to you? To be an Atlantic Fellow meant to me a lot. I think the program opened a lot of doors. The connections I made in the program, not only GBHI, but the All-Atlantic community, were great. They opened my mind to different thoughts and also to pursue this kind of research. Sometimes research that look at social aspects of health, they don't receive a lot of attention, especially for funding. After this fellowship, I had this opportunity to receive attention and receive funding and also stimulate me to continue pursuing this kind of research that affects people. The research is important to improve people's lives. Hopefully we'll be speaking in a year or so when you have the results and it'll be good news. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. And that was Elisa Hazenje, Atlantic Fellow for Equity and Brain Health. For more information, you can visit www.atlanticfellows.org. I'm Fanula Sweeney, and you've been listening to the Atlantic Conversations podcast.